Good evening and welcome to another episode of the Brown Bag APAC. I'm your host and presenter tonight, Brett Johnson. And tonight we're going to go through um, a few things about group policy. We'll cover off some of the basics, how to create group policy items, talk about the inheritance, different sections within there, and also we'll go through some troubleshooting. Um, I've got a extra lab set up to be able to go through some steps on why a policy isn't applying and you know ways to work through it. So before we get into it we'll go through the usual quick notes. So anything V Brown Bag is always available on Twitter at V Brown Bag or LATAM EMEA and V Brown Bag Junior. And with anything we do on Twitter we also use the hashtag V Brown Bag. And we've got a variety of shows throughout each week, so we've got the APAC one, MEA, LATAM, and the US one. So if anything suits your time zone, you can always tune in live, or they will be made available on through YouTube and iTunes. And also for any more information on what we're doing, you can always visit us at professionalvmware.com or vbrownbag.com. So group policy. Group policies a goes with Active Directory. You need to have Active Directory to be able to do anything with group policy. And you use group policy to be a central management for all your users and your computers. So you might have a set of users that you maybe don't want to have access to control panel, or you might want to remove their ability to use removable drives, for example, map, map um, or you might have certain offices so each site might you might map specific printers to it based on that computer's site address using its subnet um, so these are sort of the, some of the sort of things you can do in group policy essentially it is a graphical registry editor everything you do in there does actually have a registry key now with group policy you have your standard set of policies, templates, and preferences you can do that affect your Windows environments, specifically to do with the operating systems. You can also extend on those to use things um, called templates, which we'll cover off shortly. Now, with group policy can, is primarily managed through the management console, and that's available when you install Active Directory with the management tools. So you do need the graphical install, not core, if you want to do it directly on the server. It's, the management console is also available as part of the remote server administration toolkit, which you can download from Microsoft. And there are a few PowerShell commandlets for group policy. You can do a bit in, the, in PowerShell, such as permissions and backing up and restoring policies. However, majority of the work of actually putting the settings in policies is done through the management console. And the individual policies themselves end up getting stored in the sysvault directory, which allows them then to be replicated between your domain controllers. So there's various levels, and if you're familiar with Active Directory um, as a as its hierarchical um, concept, you know that there are sort of a hierarchy and it steps down and generally more specific uh, is sort of gets applied over anything else and group policy is no different to that. So a computer can have um, its own group policy. Um, so these are called local policies. So that will affect that individual computer. And if you open up MMC, and add a snap in, you can you can actually see the policies there, or things such as SecPol, so S E 
cpol.mmsc uh, will also allow you to set local policy. So they're the first one. So they get applied first if they're set. That is then sites. So you can set per site. So if you break up sites, say in a geographical region, you might have, for example, policies telling you telling computers that in those sites maybe which WSUS server to get their updates. Um, updates from so they're not suddenly trying to get uh, updates across a slow or an expensive link they'll get one for a local server and maybe that person's on a laptop so when they change sites so they just pick up walk to another site and they it'll automatically detect they're in a new site and then they can get a new policy and get updates from there what is currently then the closest server so that's sort of one area where you could use a site-based policy then domain, so if you have multiple domains you can set a uh, policy at the root of the domain and as um, and that will push down to anything that's um, allowing, like going to inherit that policy. Um, and then the organisational units, so again going back to Active Directory you have your organisational units and that's where a lot of your policies do actually get applied is the OU level and so each one of these overwrites, so a site will overwrite a local, domain overrides a site, so if there's conflicts, that sort of thing. So that's, that's always the last one process that gets applied. Now, loopback is a, a bit of a special condition there. <clears throat> so this means if, say you've got a terminal server and you want all the users to have specific um, like all their environment to be the same when they go onto that terminal server, you might do loopback. So that means the user settings applied to the computer's organizational unit will override the one applied to the user's organizational unit. So I'll help go through that. I'll go through that shortly to help sort of help visualize and uh, explain it a bit better there. So this is when you have a group policy in a group policy you can have computer settings and user settings now the way it usually works is if you've got a organizational unit that contains computers and we'll just bring it up on this domain controller here so this little test domain controller we've got here this is just a bog standard DC, it's just got a couple of policies set up and a couple of OUs. So in a group policy there's the computer configuration and user configuration. So if I was to have a organizational uh, group policy linked here, and let's just create one, so and I was to and I was in this user OU. So my account is in here. The computer I log on to is in here. The effective policies when I log on, without loopback processing, would be and we'll ignore all the other ones. But this computer configuration, any settings I set in here specific to this policy will be applied, and the user policies set here will be applied and that's how they'll do it. So we'll have computer from the computer's or, um, or the computer's uh, policy and users from the user 
policy. Now, if I was to do loopback processing, what will happen is I'll log on to this computer. It'll run the computer policy from here and apply that. It will then apply my user policy and then come back and apply this user configuration. So we've got two options then when we do that. This can either just flat out overwrite the user configuration here or we could do a merge. So a merge will merge those two settings with this one having precedence in conflict. So if there's a one's got a setting that's enabled and another's got a setting that's disabled, the one that's um, whatever is set in here on that computer's policy will overwrite. So that's what loopback is, and that's how it sort of helps create a, like I said, for terminal servers, a more consistent environment for everybody that's on them. <laughs> so, in when you create a policy, or when you use a group policy object or a GPO, there's two main sections in within when you do an edit. There's a policy, and there's a preference. So a policy. When you take, like when you turn it off, for example, I have a policy enabled to disable control panel. When I have, when that's enabled, user can't use control panel at all, they'll get an access denied message. But when I remove that, they can, and the policy reapplies, they'll immediately be able to do it. So it's removed once it's what's called out of scope. If the, if the setting, like if the application that the policy applies to is conflicting, so maybe Windows Firewall, you've allowed a port on locally on your computer and um, you use group policy to block that port, that will override it. Or more, even more application specific, so you've, everyone has their own custom signatures in Outlook and you've decided, nope, I don't want them to do that, I want them to have a company one and you set that in a policy and group policy that will overwrite the application setting and applications recognize it and a lot of applications do have their own policy files available so you can go beyond just the standard windows system so you could do things such as policies for office policies policies for say google chrome and help keep your environment consistent and more and most importantly secure and stop people doing things they usually shouldn't be doing now, a preference, it stays. So I could use a preference to do something like, I could put a shortcut on a user's desktop. I could map a drive. Um, I could put a registry entry in, for example, using preferences. Now, when I take this out of scope, unlike a policy, it stays there. So it, applications can also overwrite policies. So they're, while they do stay when it's removed, they're almost a, a suggestion. So I could turn it off, like I could put that, going back to the uh, the icon on the desktop, if the user, the user could possibly delete that icon. And that's fine, it's, like I said, it's a bit more of a preference. Um, well, obviously it is a bit more of a preference because it's called a preference. If you can't tell, it's late in the day and it's been a long day. So to show you these, and there's, when we open, go to open, I'll edit our group policy called test and as you can see I'm sticking with my very original name convention we have a lot of policies we have software installation stuff so we could install a program 
And this is just, like I said, this is bog standard. All this stuff, as you can see, is all pretty much Windows, or is all Windows based around the operating system. And so we've got things like, such as you know, network shares, general components, so we can make changes, we can turn off the Windows calendar, you can set things such as regional settings. Now, under preferences, there's a lot less settings. Here's our regional ones, or I'm a bit confusing, that's actually a preference. So I could set a regional preference here for, maybe I want the the time to be the same, um, or one that I've found that can be quite important is date. I've seen a couple of applications where a computer's been installed and you know, being in Australia, most of our, uh, we always do the day, month, year. And we've had a computer when the installation was done on the operating system, because it was a small site, there wasn't an image rolled out, we didn't use SCCM or anything like that. And it had the American date, which went month, day, year. And that actually caused a lot of problems in the software because when they uploaded stuff to the database, the date was in an invalid format. So that's where something like setting these regional settings can become important. So it's not then just about making sure that the users can't do something, it then becomes about making sure your application is consistent, the data is consistent. Um, other things is internet settings. So there's a couple of settings depending on the browser version. And this hopefully will look familiar to everyone there. And you can set a lot of these settings. Now, some things such as trusted sites aren't actually set in here. They are set elsewhere. Do this one off the top of my head. Um, oh, I've forgotten exactly where it is now. Internet settings. Oh, this is a pain. There is actually a setting in here. Um, you might just have to take my word for it because I can't find it at the moment, called uh, Site to Zone Assignment List. Here we go. So, for example, we want certain things in trusted zones. Um, maybe, and this comes back to consistent environment, um, you've got a, a site, maybe it's doing a webinar, and to allow those security settings to be low enough to allow that streaming service to work, you might need to put it in here with a specific value. Uh, I believe it's a two to allow that webinar to happen. So this is another thing where group policy can be quite handy um, beyond just saying, no, you can't do this, no, you can't access control panel, no, you can't use a USB drive, for example. Okay. So applying a GPO, like GPOs get applied either to a site, now sites aren't visible through the group policy management console by default, it's, takes about three seconds to add it in there. Um, they can be applied to the root of the domain or any organizational unit. Now, when one thing that a lot of people can find a bit confusing at the start is when you have, when you go into Active Directory, for example, you'll see, so we've got users. And this is where on a standard domain controller, that's where your first um, your users create go by default until you start making customizations. Now, while it looks like it, this is not an OU. This is a container. So you can't actually apply a policy to a container. As you can see, if we collapse this down to, to reflect what we've got here, it's a lot different. So one of the things you've got to look for is anything without this tiny little symbol down there, 
if it doesn't have that, it's not an OU. So built in some of these other policies, whereas the ones that we can see is, so if we go down here now, we can actually see these. So these are OUs, which mean we can apply policies to them. Now, in terms of science, as I said, they're not available by default. You can go right-click on it, show sites, click on the sites. Again, this is just one domain controller. I'm only going to have one site, but you could add more sites. So if we want to create a group policy, we've got a couple of options. We can just right-click and go New. Hit OK, and there's our group policy. Now, as it's not, I haven't linked it to anything, I can do whatever I want in there, and it's not going to affect anybody because it's not linked. That link needs to be established for the policy to actually have effect. Now, the other option is, and this one you only do if you really know it's actually going to work first time you do it because it'll become effective immediately. There's no save button. What you click happens, and it's done. You can create a GPO in this domain and link it here. And if I create one called, I hope this works, I've created a policy and I've linked it. Now, if I already have a policy that I want to work, I can just go link existing GPO. And then we can link an existing GPO. So it's fairly straightforward to apply links. Now, if you have one uh, group policy that you don't, you know, you, you don't want to delete the policy, or you don't want to delete the link, but you want to sort of take it out of rotation as such, you can also just disable that link. So it's there, and it's a bit hard to see, but when there's no link enabled, that little scroll is a slightly lighter colour. And so it's a bit fainter, so it means it's not link enabled. And if we actually go here, we'll see the policies now that are in effect. So linked policies. And we'll go here, and if we look across, we'll see link enabled, no. Okay, so... Just having a look at the other sections, my PowerPoint's essentially just notes so I don't go on too much of a tangent. When we apply a group policy, there's each group policy, and this is specific to the policy, not where you link it, is the security filtering. So maybe I have a policy that allows managers to have a specific share. I've got a couple of options for that. If I have a security group and I'll just put one in just very quickly. Managers. Right, so I've got a security group called managers. Now, say my organizational units are in a structure where all my managers and usual workers are in together, but I might have a policy that I don't want to apply to the general workforce that is more of a managers one. Maybe it gives them a bit more freedom or maybe just different drive mappings, something like that. We can either leave that as authenticated users, which then is going to apply to anybody. So anybody who authenticates against the domain is an authenticated user. Or we can remove this, and we could add this to managers. You can also do it to a individual user, but just like security policies, that's 
not exactly good practice. And you can have multiple ones there, just like any other, anything else we do um, in terms of policies. Now, WMI filters. What we can use WMI filters for, and I don't actually have it one set up on this domain to show you, but you can use a WMI filter to get some information. So when it goes to apply the policy, it's going to run a test. So you'll set up a filter. And uh, this is, is really not a valid WMI filter, but uh, I'll show you one in more detail with the troubleshooting one when we do. But a WMI filter, it, it runs a test against the computer when you log on. Um, so it, you could do a WMI filter. So say you're doing a rollout of new software that requires all the computers to have 8 gig of RAM. You could do a WMI filter to say um, computer must have 8 gig of RAM. So you get that value from WMI and Windows has some really, uh, sorry, Microsoft has some good articles on Technic about it. So you'd put that out there and it's going to return a value of true or false when it goes to apply the policy. And that policy will come back and it will go, okay, it's false, it's not going to apply. If it's true, the policy will then apply. So that applies to not just not individual settings, but the whole policy. And I realized I did mention one, forget one other thing about filtering who gets what um, in terms of applying a policy. So for example, if we go to our preferences and drive maps to stick on the same example, if I map a drive, so I can, when I was saying you could have some managers get a drive and some and normal stuff not, you've got a couple of options. You could do, you could have a drive here where you would create and we'll call it, it doesn't validate the share by the way, so it's good for testing this sort of thing. Okay, so if a normal user logged on, they might get, you know, they'll get test or anyone, sorry, anyone who the policy applies to We'll get that test drive, but then we might want to create one called and again, thankfully it doesn't validate because I just did make a few typos there, but anyway. What we can do under common is what's called item level targeting and we can set very specific options. Now these are for preferences, not policies. So if you've got a policy where you're like, oh, I'm going to do a um, uh, software installation, I'm going to use item level targeting. It's not going to work. You need to use like a WMI filter if you're going to go use that memory example. <clears throat> so we could do a security group here, which is listed here. I just can't use my alphabet at the moment to find it. There it is. And we could go find that group. And um, now we have this drive that's only going to apply to managers. It also gives us the security identifier users in group or say for a computer one, if the computer's in the group, you know, apply that. So these are some of the things, sorry, and one of the things, processing filtered directory. So it helps tell us without having to open it if there's a filter applied. Now, these are some of the things that can make it a bit more complex. It's instead of just, it goes beyond then just looking and saying, hey, yes, it's okay, it's applied to the OU. So these are the parts where you've got to start stepping through and 
start making use of the modeling and results, which we'll go through shortly. And nope, not this one. So linking options. So when we link down, by default, everything inherits. So my far down OUs will inherit everything from domain and each OU that's above it that has a policy applied. And that's how it works by default and it's all good. But sometimes you don't want that to happen. Maybe you have a IT administrator's OU that you don't want to get certain restrictions come through and for the way your directory structure is set up in AD, you they've got to sit under some sort of organizational unit that has those restrictions on it. What you could do is turn on block inheritance. Now, to give you show you what this means is this more users OU has a few policies and we can see at the top here that are inherited. We have nothing directly linked, but we have inherited policies. So if I was to block inheritance, suddenly, well, it does as the name says. It's just better than a lot of things you see on TV infomercials. It blocks inheritance. Now, what if though I want my default domain controller policy, it's which general rule of thumb, a lot of people just don't touch. They just leave it as it is. So let's go to domain GPO. We're going to enforce this. And what enforce means is that this policy is going to go through block inheritance. So you could cherry pick some of the ones here and apply them to that OU, or you can apply the enforce setting and they will push through. The other option is you can link all those ones to that specific OU. That's what enforced means and that's what block inheritance means. Okay. Ah, uh, yes. Enforcing and blocking inheritance does add some complexity. And again, it goes past that point of just, ah, oh, yes, that's applied, that's in scope, it's all good. It starts to make you need to look a bit deeper. And I mean, when you get to certain areas, yes, you are going to inherit some sort of complexity. But where you can, it's always nice to keep it minimal, keep your job easy so you can have a few more coffee breaks. Now, if I wanted to have my IT admins, they could access, you know, they might want to access users, but more users a bit more, a bit tighter. We want to have a bit more control over policies that are applied to that. We can use what's called delegation to set certain permissions. So modeling and results, and I'll explain those a bit further later, Or, but for our example is who can link a GPO? So maybe you want managers because that's the sort of masochist I am that I want my managers touching my GPO. And we can say if we want them to be able to link GPOs just for this container or this and child containers. And now they can do it. And the other area, one of the things you can use this for from a more realistic point of view is if you have a geographically set segregated office, maybe um, speaking in Australia, you might have a office in or a region, say Latrobe Valley, you might have the Barossa Valley in South Australia, for example, and you might have dedicated IT teams to that. And they don't may, you know, they 
because of the distance, they're, they're their own teams, they don't always communicate things or they have different requirements. So we might not want team A, like we might, might not want our Latrobe Valley team touching the Barossa Valley's um, organizational unit. So instead of just having straight out domain admins here, for example, or maybe the people that can do policy, we don't want them just to be domain admins. We could then have a Latrobe Valley IT support security group, which can only do that specific section of organizational units and a Barossa Valley one who can only do theirs. So by doing that, we can then help segregate and control and limit the fallout if there is a, a mistake made or sometimes, you know, someone might get a bit too enthusiastic and think they've got a fantastic fix, but they don't have the oversight of what that region does and can sometimes make a mess. Now, GPO replication and refresh. And I'm just making sure I can still read. So the by default group policy will replicate every 15 minutes. And actually, no, sorry, I am mistaken on that. It refreshes up to every 90 minutes with a randomization of 30 minutes. So anywhere between, I think, 60 and 90 minutes. So, um, so disregard that top line. That's not as um, set in stone. That's was a mistake, so I'm sorry about that one. Now, it can, uh, sites is also when you use your site settings for replication intervals can vary it. And if you do need to manually push through an update, for some times, you know, you might have a security update that you need to get out there a bit quicker. You There is a couple of options. You can right click on a specific GPO. So say I've applied a See, I hope this works to more users. I could update that one. So that's no computer ones, but you can do that. Or, and you can also run this from a, you can, with permissions, I can then update the policies by running gp update slash force. Now, if I have a computer, maybe I've got a OU that I've applied to a computer and I'm testing it out and I'm not patient and I'm kind of not, um, I could, on that computer before restarting it, I could push out the, um, I could run GP update slash force on the computer and see how it goes. And some policies that you set have, do what's called a background refresh. So once it's updated, that applies. And with one of the ones I'll show you shortly will, is actually one of those settings. So we can do that and that will apply and take effect immediately. Other policies uh, will require, if they're a user level one, they'll require the user to log off and then log back on to apply the, that policy. Or a computer level one, they will require the computer to restart. Now, in preparation this, for this, I did try to find a, a good little list to go through of ones that are background and ones that do require the restart, but it seemed to vary a bit and I couldn't get anything concrete. In my time playing with group policy, I've generally just assumed that if I'm changing a policy, they're going to need to log out and they're going to need to restart the computer if it's a computer level one. If it applies earlier, great. If it doesn't, well, I've already made the, the assumption of it's going to take longer than what it really did. So, and then you're not wrong at least if it for the longer version. Now, with, that's right. So when, and 
back to what I meant about the um, updating for computers and that when a computer restarts it doesn't just say hey these are my policies I'm, I'm good to go it'll check in with the domain control say hey what's new oh right, that's a bit different let's put that on we're all good to go and then when the user logs on it same thing happens it goes hey how's my, how's my policies yeah that's a bit different we'll do that one too so they refresh each time you log on it is part of the process if providing they can contact the domain controller and firewall ports are open where they need to be okay so each setting within a group policy has three primary options now these are for policies preferences are a bit different a lot different as you've probably seen there's different things you can set there there's the enabled option so we've enabled that option disabled funny enough we've disabled the option not configures the default state for everything that means it if it's you know, if I have a policy um, at a more preference level for, in terms of the inheritance and I haven't set it it's not configured whatever above it so this is goes back to that uh, look like if I have a, a local policy it's been configured and then I, um, because my group policies have the same setting they're not configured that's where the local one wins because default state is not configured they they're available and they're almost scrapped now there are some examples where that they they do word them in an interesting manner where it's almost like a double negative um, and unfortunately I didn't find any examples from my looking through but I have come across them and you've got to read carefully in the description as to what what does this actually mean when because sometimes disabling an option will actually give you the result you're looking for in terms of like you could say allow this and you disable it that's pretty straightforward but then there's some that do say do not allow um, and we can go from there so just see if we can here we go so do not show local area so if we enable this it's not going to show it if we disable it it will show it so that's one of the examples um, right there where you need to make sure you read it now on the left hand side it gives you a description and it they always say when enabled the icon for or when you disable so they do tell you what the setting means for when you enable or disable it and then sometimes when you enable as well you have extra drop options and however say I enable this and I leave that as enabled state it only tells me it's enabled here it doesn't tell me the setting within the setting as such so just because it's enabled for some things you do need it's always a good idea to actually open it up and have a look and again it will tell you then if you've got that extra setting if you enable it and then it'll give you the option of what the following states are as well so you do get descriptions for it if unsure technic technet I can never say that right um, is always a really good resource and there you go from there now there are a lot of settings in group policy is this is all settings and we've got a tiny little cursor over here and we've got a lot of them so if you have a if your boss or you've got a ticket whatever happens to be asking you to make a, a change for group policy and you're not too sure where to look your first one of your best places to look 
is Bing. I mean, sorry, Google. Just jumping in Google, you might say, um, uh, disable USB drives. I seem to be stuck on that example at the moment. So disable USB drives via GPO. And you'll get articles and all that sort of stuff that comes up and will tell you how to do it. So there we go. So server faults our first one for this. We've got social.technet and a lot of articles and these will go into it and it will tell us the steps and where to go to be able to do this. So like I said, if you've got a specific task, you, you can, um, it's not too hard to Google it. You just need to know that task and you can go find that setting and I'll spend a lot of time actually just Googling, finding the setting and going from there to do a lot of things in uh, within group policy. Now, one other thing just while I think of it, some policies there's what's called link detection. So some policies, uh, the one I can think of off the top of my head is redirected folders or things such as offline files. They can have a policy based on how fast the link is. So you can determine, you can set parameters to determine if a link is slow and what happens with a slow link. And if I can find it, folder redirection. I think it's in here. Uh, no, it's not in there. Sorry, I can't remember it off the top of my head. This is just an impromptu thought. But you can have certain things um, about your network and redirected folders is one of them, and offline files, branch cache. They're different things where they can say, okay, your link is slow. We're going to maybe not apply the policy or we're going to use something else. So link detection is one of those things and it does come up when we do our um, results, not modeling, and it will say, hey, I, the link space is, so then you can help interpret, or then you can interpret why that policy did or did not apply. Sometimes a policy applying is actually a bad thing. Uh, finally, we get on to results and modeling. So these are two really good tools for working out why my GPO is behaving this way or sometimes how I expect it to behave when I put it in live. Now, in terms of that and before we get onto these, one of the things I always make sure is when I'm working with group policies, I always have a virtual machine with that operating system that we're doing it on. Um, if it's going to be like an operating system one, if it's Word or Excel or something like that, you got to make sure you got the right version. And before you put anything into group policy that's live, you want to have maybe a test OU where you can put it in there with a test user, even just like on a VM that's on the domain, it, it really just needs to be able to say, this policy is applied, it's met these credentials, or these criteria I should say, and it's working. Otherwise, you may end up with something like, okay, I've put it out there and I have an unexpected result, and that can affect a lot of people. And it's the general thing for using tests um, first is just to make sure it works and mm, making sure you don't miss things. As, as your group policy settings grow, it can become more complex. Maybe it has a conflicting setting with something else. So you want to be able to nut all this out before you put it 
into production and disrupt people and just have an all-round bad day. So group policy modeling. So this models what's expected. This does not model what does happen. This is what I expect to happen. Now I can select various domain controllers or just pick the first one. If I had other domains, I can do that. I've only got the one. Now, when we select the computer, we're going to select, or we can either select, you know, which OU, and you can use containers for this as well. So if it's in the, the default one, or, oh, sorry, the first one we do is users, late at night reading. It never goes well, does it? So for users, let's put in me. And again, we can do a computer by name or here we go, demo workstation. Now, I like to use user and computer specifically when there's a specific user having a problem or container if is more, okay, well, I'm going to deploy to these users out and they're using these computers. So it depends on your need for which one you do. Specific problem, specify specifically. You're just trying to ascertain and get a good gauge of how it's going to go. Then containers oh, is all good. Now we can just skip straight to the end as this self-explanatory bit of text works. We can simulate loopback processing. We can put it in a certain site. Slow network connection. So, for example, I want to simulate maybe maybe I do have a site which has a bit of a dodgy WAN link that gets a bit bogged down in the morning. So, we can simulate this to see what happens. So, that's our user location. So, these are network locations and all that. It just pulls out from the start. Security groups. Again, then the computer one. So you have your user security groups and your computer security groups because they can go in as well. And you can also use that for your applying policy. So that manager example I gave you can also apply to specific computers, maybe kiosk computers. You want to have them really locked down. You can add additional WMIs that aren't part of it. So like I said, this is modeling. This is what I expect to happen when I do this. Hopefully one plus one equals two. Sometimes it equals 53. So again, we specify WMI for filters, WMI for computers. Then we get the summary. Now, if we went all the way back to our first page, we tick this, we hit next, hit next, we're done. Okay, so we've got a couple of messages come up. AD, now like I said, this is a bog standard domain control. It's probably about an hour and a half old, so... I'm not really concerned about my errors. If you had these, you probably do want to look into them. And what this is going to go through is it's going to say, hey, look, these policies here are what's applied. It'll tell you the applied GPOs and denied GPOs. Yeah, I don't actually, oh, look at that, I have a denied one. There we go. I've got a bit lucky on this example. So I have one because the link is disabled. So if we go up, so we've got the one called demo. Link's not enabled. So that's why that policy was denied, which is all good. Now, 
when I've been playing previously with um, WMI filters, um, one of the ones I did, the last one I did, was, I think it was only a couple of weeks back, was just to determine the operating system version because I didn't want a script for an application to run or anything that was a server, so whether it was a domain controller or a member server. They're two different values. It was designed to run on workstations. When doing the modeling, the WMI filter always came back true because it doesn't actually, it doesn't seem to actually apply. Um, it always came back true. When I ran the results, it came back false, which was giving me the result that I was actually seeing on the computer. So there's that, there is a bit of a difference. Yeah. And that was despite me, for some reason, putting it in. I, I put it in when I ran, ran the query to put the WMI filter in, but for some reason, it always came back true. I'm not going to say you're going to have that experience, but it's one of those things just to keep an eye out for. Now, say you've made a change. You don't need to go back through the whole wizard. We can just rerun query, and we're good. Now, results is a bit different. So we can run it against this computer, or we can run it against another one. So we'll run it against our demo workstation. Now, this will contact that uh, computer, server, whatever it happens to be, and it will say, okay, who's logged on last? Oh, who's logged on? Who do I have records for? Okay, and off we go. Now, I think this is going to come back with a WMI error because it's taking much longer. There we go. So RPC server not available. Now, this one, this has come about because when the when I was setting all this up, it didn't get the DNS details correctly because, well, I put in the wrong DNS server, so that's, you know, a lot my fault, which means, uh, and when that happens, you'll generally find that you need to allow an app through the firewall. And we'll see here, remote management interface or instrumentation is not on. So let's just... Let's turn that on, and I think that should be the only one we need to do. Okay, now let's give this another crack. Hopefully I did it right. Maybe I didn't. Which one am I missing? Uh, net logon service. I think that's the other one I need to do. There we go. See, we enable that logon service. So we've got the two users here. That we've, I mean, I've got two user accounts, so we've got two users, so you could have more. So Brett at Downfall is complaining that his policy is restricted to something that we said we'd let him do. He was a silly fool for believing us. But what we can see when we do this is we've got our mismatch errors. It's much the same as the modeling. The difference is though, this is pulling what did happen. So if I made a change in group policy and I ran a results, that change wouldn't be reflected in results, it'd be reflected in modeling. So we can then see a lot of the same sort of stuff that you know, we've, uh, the WMI filter is, which one was this? This is the local group policy, so it got denied. Whereas, did we even see local group policy here? No. That, the local group policy down here is not shown. 
So there's that's one of the differences. Um, that was coming back as also coming back with demo being denied because of the link disabled. And we can see here that it's not there. It's, so when I logged on, there was different policies to what we see in modeling. So that's one of the big differences. Now, on a workstation or directly from the workstation, you can run the resilient, resultant, sorry, I can never say that word properly. I do apologize. Set of policies or better than that, just RSOP. Now, if you run this without local administrative rights, you're going to get hit with a, uh, a, a access to die. Now that doesn't mean all is lost. I can still see user configurations. So what this can do is if I have an error when I log on, um, so say it's like, oh yeah, we're processing, we're pressing, but there was some sort of error doing it. We can see this in RSOP. Now if I was to run as administrator, Oops. Oh. Bloody hell. This is just downright embarrassing. There we go. Alright, so now we're running as administrator. We don't have our access denied message. And what we're going to see, okay, resultant. Um, what we're going to see is the computer policies as well not just the user ones. Because, you know, if a user sees what users apply to there, eh. But sometimes we don't want them to see the theoretical settings that we have applied. So we've, you know, got the password settings, order policies, all that sort of jazz. And you'll get like little, little warning triangles if something's not quite right. Now, the other place to check if you're having a issue with a policy applying. So, uh, an example I've come across before was we moved a folder redirection from one server to another, and the permissions had we had a couple of permissions issue. No, sorry, it wasn't it wasn't the move. It was there was a restore from backup. So the client got hit by a crypto virus. We had to restore from backup, and the security policies or the secu NTFS security permissions didn't apply back to the folders. So what we could see in here in in group uh, sorry in event viewer was we could see the folder redirection where it applied. We're not going to see that because I don't have it set up here, and it came back with an error, and we could use that error then to troubleshoot the message. So we've got a few different areas there where we can look at and say, all right, what's going on? What can we do about it? Why is this broken? So administrative templates. These expand what group policy can do. If you've had a look at the policies we've had there, we've everything's pretty much been based or has been based around the operating system. Now, there's two types of administrative templates: ADM files, which I really, really hope you never have to deal with because let's face it, then you're going to be using Server 2003 as your servers or XP or earlier and you probably want to be finding some money to replace those instead. Um, now, ADMX files, they're our new ones, they're XML based, and they sit in what's called a central store, which by default is in Windows and policy definitions, as we see right here. Now, oops, 
previous. Now, there's the ADMX file with ADMX ones, and these are ones we'll concentrate on because ADM, it's old, and to be honest, I think I've done twice. So, so with the ADMX file, you have the ADMX file, which contains all the settings. So it can be read by group policy, the settings go in, and you can enable, disable, not configure. And then you have your ADML, which is the language file. So if you have a multiple language um, system, then you're gonna need the multiple language files. And then that gets replicated um, throughout your, um, as part of SysVol. So when we go into Windows and policy definitions, these are ADMX files. Now, as you can see, there's various ones there, disk quota, so on and so forth. Now, as I said, they're XML-based, and that's what they look like. We've got a hotspot. I'm not going to pretend to know what's in there. I'm just going to let you know that you, you can look into it. And I've only got English US, and they are the language files. So... Installing administrative templates really can't be much easier. So this is, I think this is the Office templates. I, I went to, believe it or not, Google, and I grabbed the Office templates. I downloaded it from the link, or from the Microsoft download link. And these are the ADMX files. Yeah. All we do is we grab them, we paste them, grab the relevant language setting ones. Again, I'm only using English US. If you've got multiple languages, you'll need to put those in there. And close that off. Open group policy again. And we can... It doesn't matter, it doesn't have to be a new policy, it can be a new one, it can be an existing policy, so we'll do the I hope this works, because when recording, you always hope it works. And now we have Microsoft Office settings, and that's all it takes. Now that will replicate around my imaginary domain to my imaginary domain controllers, and off she goes. So it's quite simple, and go from there now we've got we could do Chrome files like if we wanted to be able to manage Google Chrome and say hey users have to go through our policy uh, our proxy server we could put in Chrome um, we could do it I believe Firefox has it there's a lot of different ones out there you can use to help control the applications essentially as I said it's a registry setting so um, one example with Office 2016 is there is a update setting in here somewhere. I'm going to say somewhere because I can't remember it off the top of my head. There's, again, there's just too many. And if I was to set that, it's, it applies to a H, uh, HKey local machine registry setting, which tells it where to get the updates from. So you could, you could make use of that for uh, updating Office from a central location when you're using, say, click to run. Or uh, your there's registry settings to uh, for WSUS to say which where they want to get the updates from if not from Microsoft.com so that you want to get them from an intranet server again that's 
that's a registry setting and that's what your group policy does it's again it's a graphical glorified registry editor but it does work very well now powershell so there's not a great deal you do with powershell for group policy um, i've primarily just used it personally just to have the backup restore sections you can also use it to import it's quite straightforward you just got to import the module it's I, I'm pretty sure I've got it here so we can back back up group policies by name or I think it's the all option and then we can set a path so and there we go with group policies, you'll see these um, GPO IDs. Now, if we go into, and you'll also notice that they don't, sorry, I'll get to that in a second. This is the ID, the unique ID, and that will line up with, so let's actually pick the right one. I think that's the one, yep, there it is, GPO ID. That's its file name, so I'm gonna do something dumb and I'm gonna break a group policy just I don't know because we can so just to give you just to show you where they sit and how it works so we go into policies and we'll see so we're looking for 6b so this here is our OU GPO and you can see we've got machine and computer. Now if I started actually setting policies in here and preferences, so let's, let's just set one and what we end up with now is we have a registry.pol. So this is where it goes. So if these folders have something in them, that's where the settings go. Now if I was to go yoink and move that, it now can't find it. So this is something like you, you really don't do live, but it's just to give you an idea, that they, uh, to give the demonstration that these policies are just, just files. We can put it back, and now our permissions are wrong. So we hit OK, and it will fix the permissions up for us and everything is back to how it is. Now this is essentially what a group policy backup does, except it doesn't bugger up the permissions like a cut and paste. So from my thing, if I was to delete that, and it's like, uh-oh, and it's completely different, disappeared because I didn't intend to do it, maybe whatever happened, it, it's no longer there. So what we can do is we can delete this from our group policy, and we can restore. 
browse. And there are our backups that we took before. So when you do multiple backups, you do get to see multiple times of where, like when it was done. So if you've done them, or you can tick this and just have the latest one. So we hit restore. Yes. OU GPO is restored. Fantastic. And because I did the backup before I made the change, we can see it's all empty. Now, here's the thing. When you restore, it does not restore the links. So make sure your links are documented. So when you restore, the, they're actually all in the right place. And there's a PowerShell list. Uh, there's a TechNet um, link for the PowerShell commandlets for those playing at home. You can also set the permissions and you can do the links as well. So, so when things go wrong, good chance it's a typo or you've just overlooked something. They're your two biggest reasons something goes wrong. And other than that, we start then to look into what else could it be? Uh, could it be the loopback is producing unexpected results? Is it something like the inheritance order? Have I... Have I miscalculated that? Is my logical layout not suitable? Or am I OUs in an impractical way to do it? Or am I trying to apply a user policy to a computer OU? So one that contains all my computers. So these are the, some of the things that you sort of start to work through. And I've actually broken one of my labs that hopefully I've broken in a manner that I can actually unbreak. So, come on, pause. What are you doing? Oh, well, it's not a different network anyway. So, I have another DC and a workstation. Now, my intention with these is just to go through some of the is to map a drive. It's a very, very simple one. It's a preference. It'll show up. We're going to map an, map an F drive to something that doesn't exist. It's quite simple. Now, we, my users OU contains a user called Brett. There I am. Groovy. We don't need to really worry about the computers one because just to this is just to see how it applies and also give a demonstration of WMI filters as well. So Brett's sitting there, he's all good. Brett's a cool kind of guy, if I say so myself. Now, the policy also has a WMI filter on it. And we can see this under... Uh, I forgot, I saw it well, down here. It's got one, so it applies to member services. So the service. So the idea is that if I was to do this on a real policy, I'd be looking at saying, okay, so I only want this to apply to servers that servers. I don't want it to apply to desktops, and I don't want it to apply to domain controllers. Okay, that's good. We can do that. You know, we can filter down further. We can use security We can use a few different things, but as a broad stroke, that's what we want to do. Uh, when you a server has a what we can see here, so we've got all this here, so I've lost train of thought there. So when I log on to Workstation, 
Uh, there I am. I should, because it's applied, get a drive, but it's not working. Okay, so I've logged on. Let's check the results. So we, I think I did actually just call it workstation. There we go, workstation. And it's not going to work now. The reason is exactly the same as the other one. Oh, that's interesting. That's on a public network. Wonder what that could be. Okay, let's have a look. Okay, now, without checking, this is incorrect. This old domain controller IP address doesn't work. Is now my only domain controller is dot two. Now, even though I had dot two specified because it's un it was in the second one, the top one wasn't contactable. It's not detecting this as a domain network. That's one of the problems. Okay, so if that's wrong, maybe it's out of date here. To oh, domain controller, same sort of thing. So a domain controller's DNS server, top one should always point to itself. The fact that the gateway is not set at the above is a non-issue. So, well, you can either use 127001 or you can use the actual IP address. So now we want it to look at itself and it's still a public network. So to, we could reboot it or we can just Restart network location awareness. Now the reason why this is important as a to go through it is and get this right is that the firewall rules that we want to allow certain things for our domain are very um, are gonna make a big difference here. So for that we need to set that up and now we're on a domain network which is excellent. Now this one's done and we have the same thing. So we could restart it or we can just again do the exact same things, restart network location awareness. And this goes to the, oh, that's right, I'm not an administrator. Um, so this also goes to show the importance of, <coughs> oh, sorry. So this goes to show the importance of um, having proper DNS when dealing with Active Directory if it's not correct you're going to have all sorts of problems. So there's our first issue is that our DNS was incorrect. Now, so we'll do the restart. All right, so we've checked our networking. That's one of the first things we'll check. Usually we won't just jump straight in and make sure the firewall's there. We might check, we'll check our networking and we found this issue again. We're starting with the basics. So, now that we're on that, are we all good? And I can tell you the answer is going to be no. It's still not going to work. So then we remember that because we started up on a public network, certain firewall options are not enabled to come through. And for these ones we need WMI and net logon service.
And once we set those, look at that. So now we'll go through and we'll see, see if there was any result come through on this. Hmm, that was an error. And we're only looking at setting here and, oh, denied. Why was that denied? Okay, so false WMI filter. So this is where we can find that our WMI filter was denied because it came back false. So I had domain servers set as three for which is actually, actually, sorry, I had a typo in it. We are using our typo example. It's not an operation example, an operation system. It's an operating system. It's funny how that works, isn't it? And so we've set that. So I've got it now. The operating system type is three. Now we can, oh, I've got to remember this one. This might be not the best one to do on the fly, but WMI object, we can use PowerShell to get the um, we can use it to verify yeah. <laughs> um, we can use it to verify what our settings are going to come back as for our WMI filters that we're going to do so if we've got you know a certain thing that we want to go into we can do that so for this it should be Product type, okay, and it is three. So if you can see that there. Ah, oh, damn, there's no font option. Okay, so it's three. So at least we've uh, found that we've had one typo here. So we just need to make sure we don't have another typo here. So that's good. So if I ran the results again, I would get the same results. So we've realized that we've had some incorrect networking, which has caused us to have to look at the firewall as well. And then we've realized we've fat fingered a, uh, fat fingered the WMI filter. So now we've done that. I believe this is a background refresh policy or preference. So we're just gonna run a GP update dash force. Now, if you have a really, if you have a lot of domain controllers, it's not always the best idea to run GP update dash force because it's going to push it out to everything and it may generate a lot of traffic that you do not want. Let's see if this is a background one. There it goes. So, it's a very, very simple example of how little things can stop a policy going working and this is part of the reason why it's good to utilize the tools so the ability to have test vms i mean you could do this in workstation like i'm doing if you want to test something you could actually you know run it up as a host you can you know you've got your your tools to say that like your results you've got your modeling so it's just a quick example of check the basics start with your network you start with your dns make sure that's good if your DNS is out and you're getting that RPC error 
So if your DNS is fine, you get that RPC error when running results, check your firewall, go from there. Um, again, this is just a basic example, but it's just a, a lot of the time, GPO works really well. It's, it's not perfect, nothing is, um, but it's quite a reliable technology. It's quite a reliable way to manage your computers. So check it out and um, yeah, just have a play. It doesn't take much. Um, if you did want to do it yourself at home, VMware Workstation or say a virtual box, which is free, and run up two computers, just have to sit there, play with your um, settings, see what see what works, see what effects they have, and then start playing with WMI filters. And maybe set one where it only works if there's more than four gig of RAM, and change the RAM up and down. And just it doesn't when you play with these things, especially say your WMI filters, to learn the filter you put doesn't have to apply to the task you're doing. You just need you just all you're really trying to do is learn happens when I do it. So then when you have to do it live and you've got a bit of pressure or you're trying to fix something that someone's done as a group policy, you at least have a solid understanding of how the pieces go together and you can just go through or at the very least you're going to be able to find some basic information to then ask the right questions when you need to ask for help. And if you really get stuck, always ask for help. So that's the end of tonight's presentation. I hope you found it useful. And I've been Brett Johnson. If you want to follow me on Twitter, I'm at BrettJohnson008. And I'll talk to you next time. Thank you very much.